You're listening to the GNU World Order, episode 52 of season 13. That's right, this is the final episode of 2019. And we're nearly done the A package set of Slackware. Really exciting. We've got two to go. XZ and Zoo. So let's just start with XZ, I guess. And that's actually easier said than done, because XZ is kind of a, um... It's, it's a strangely big topic. It seems innocent enough, but it's it's actually a... It, it has this sort of other side to it, that if we're going to talk about XZ, we probably ought to talk about this other thing. But I guess, okay, so first of all, XZ. It is a compression, general-purpose data compression tool with command-line syntax similar to gzip and bzip2. The native file format is the .xz format, but the legacy .lzma, or lisma as I say it, format used by lisma utils and raw compressed streams with no container format headers are also supported. So in other words, xz is a container format that compresses by default using the lisma um, compression algorithm. Lisma was something that was developed by the developer of 7-zip. It, it stands for the Limple Ziv Markov Chain Algorithm. And that's, that's not exactly what I wanted to discuss about XZ before discussing XZ. The thing about XZ that I want to discuss first is the claim, the, the assertion, that XZ is not adequate for long-term archiving. That is the name of a little article put out by the developer of LZIP. You can find this article on nongnu.org slash LZIP slash XZ underscore inadequate HTML. It is quite the article, but interestingly, it, it credits Last Colin, the creator of XZ itself, um, for for his detailed and useful comments that helped improve the first version of this article. Which, to me, makes it sound like the creator of the tool that is being critiqued, uh, you know, sort of contributed to the critique. Which doesn't necessarily mean that the creator agrees, it simply means that he made a comment and then the article got changed to be more accurate. So it's just kind of interesting that that's, that, that that's listed here. Uh, and it doesn't mean anything, I guess, but it, 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 it kind of indicates something, I think. I mean, it, it does, to me, it feels like there was a certain amount of due diligence happening here. This is a fairly old blog post. I think it was back in 2016. I feel like I saw that date somewhere. Yeah, 2016 06-11. Updated 2019 06-13. That's interesting. I wonder if that's true. I mean, I wonder how much of an update it was. Well, I'll never know. But the the article is is definitely worth a read. A lot of it is is well over my head. I don't know enough about compression formats and algorithms to um, compression algorithms to to make a call either way but it is a kind of persuasive blog post to be honest there are some points in it that that I can kind of hold on to and 
and sort of understand in, in some way. And some of it makes sense. And I haven't really... I, I searched for kind of a re- rebuttal, um, and I wasn't really able to find a, a great one. I could find some things where people were arguing about a point here or a point there, but not really taken at it as sort of its entirety. Now, how severe any of this is, of course, who knows? Um, I certainly... I've used XZ before. I don't think I would say that I've used it for long-term archiving. Uh, That seems like a very specific critique. Uh, But it does make me kind of wonder. You know, it kind of makes me think, well, maybe... Maybe XZ isn't the format that I would want to use for those long-term archives uh, the next time I, I decide to to compress a long-term archive. It's definitely worth a read, though. Go check it out. And now we will talk about XZ without further uh, judgment. And keep in mind, I'm, I'm not even making a judgment, really. I'm, I'm, I'm not committing to anything about XZ from that article. As, as informative and interesting as it as it is, I, I don't I couldn't get a feel a great feel for how much it actually applies to me and what I do with with XZ. Let's give this a go. So we've got the XZ utility. We'll scroll through the man page here and discover the um, the, the pretty intuitive options. Actually, we've got the dash dash compress option or just dash Z. It's the that's the default option, actually. So if you if you do XZ and then the name of a file, then that that creates an XZ archive of that file. If you do XZ-Z, it does the same thing. UnXZ does the opposite; it decompresses. Or you can just do XZ and then dash dash decompress or dash dash uncompress or dash D. So as options, these are fantastic. This is exactly what I love to see in an option, right? I mean, this is a really well-designed command already just because it gives me the things that people are going to stumble around trying to guess it actually provides. It also does a dash dash list and a dash L so that you can list what's inside the XZ archive that you're looking at. Um, and then a couple of other things, like a dash dash standard out, or a dash dash two dash standard out, dash dash no sparse, um, dash dash files if you're reading the names of things from a file, and so on. So there's a, a bunch of nice little options in there, but let's just test out the really basic ones. So we're going to first of all just do an XZ of this random file which is bizarrely called hi.txt. I'm assuming that was a... Um, yep, it contains the string hi. Um, who knows what example I was doing with that, but hi.txt. So xz space hi.txt. It's done. If I do an ls, uh, I'll see that now I've got hi.txt.xz. So in other words... It took my file and it compressed it. It put it into an XZ container. The file is no longer its own entity, right? It's been it's been placed into that XZ container. It's something to be aware of. Okay, so I'll trash hi.txt.xz 
And then let's try to do the same the same basic function with a folder. So here's a folder, and of course if we do an xz directory, it says it's a directory, so it's skipping it. So you can't just xz up a directory, just like you can't zip up a directory or gzip a directory. You have to tar it first and then xz the tar. So that's that's fair. So I'll do a tar create dash dash create dash dash file and I'll call this dir.tar and the folder that I want to do that to and now I've got if I do an ls I've got a dir.tar dir, uh, archive it's a tar archive now if I do an xz dir.tar now I have a dir.tar.xz and again if I want to un xz that then it would just be either xz-d dir.tar.xz or I could just do un xz dir.tar.xz and then I have just a dir.tar again. Really, really nice command. Really. The only thing I guess I could maybe critique it on is when it can't do a directory, maybe suggest to the user use tar first or something like that. That might be um, a little bit more user friendly. There are some other things. So there's um, there's the dash capital F or just dash dash format, which lets you specify the format that you want to use when compressing. There's auto, which is the default, and it just chooses what to do. And currently the the auto setting is XZ. There is XZ explicitly compressed to the .xz file format, or except only .xz files when decompressing, if you're using it with the decompression um, version of XZ. Then there's Lisma, comma alone, and it says compress to the le legacy .lzma file format, or except only .lzma files when decompressing. The alternative name alone, A-L-O-N-E, is provided for backwards compatibility with Lisma utils. I don't know what the story is there, but there you go. If you if you want to compress to Lisma instead of XZ, you can do that with the XZ tool. And then finally there's raw. Compress or uncompress a raw stream with no headers. This is meant for advanced users only. To decode a raw string, you need the format you need dash dash format equals raw and explicitly specify the filter chain which normally would have been stored in the container headers. So there you go. I, I don't know how to do that one and I, I can't see myself ever trying so that's okay. You can also do a dash dash check or a dash capital C. It specifies the type of the integrity check. The check is calculated from the uncompressed data and stored in the .xz file. This option has an effect only when compressing into the .xz format. The Lisma format doesn't support integrity checks. The integrity check, if any, is verified when the .xz file is decompressed. There are um, f three, I guess, um, check types. There's none. There's CRC32, CRC64, and SHA-256. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this at all is because one of the critiques of XZ is 
about this very option, the, the dash dash check option. And it says the XZ reference tool, XZ dash utils, ignores the recommendation of the XZ format specification and uses by default an optional check type, that is CRC64, in the files it produces. This prevents decompressors that do not support the optional check types from verifying the integrity of the data. That does, that right there is the reason that I m felt it was important to mention this blog post. Because I'm, I'm definitely a user who has been bitten by this kind of thing before. Not with XZ, mind you, but with other compression tools where you've got something that has been compressed into a format that then some other thing following the correct specification fails to interpret correctly because the thing that you used did not di didn't do it right. Now this is not s as severe as as anything like I've just described because it it really is it's it's quote unquote only verifying the integrity of the data, right? So if your decompressor doesn't support one of the checking mechanisms that your your compression tool had 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 used, then I I don't as I understand it, that's not going to prevent you from uncompressing. It's just that I don't know, that kind of thing makes me nervous, and that's that's why I wanted to mention this blog post, because if if that one argument resonated with me, then maybe the other arguments are significant as well. So that's something to be aware of. You can also do just do a dash dash ignore check. So if <laughs> if you do have a problem with the checking types, just ignore the check. And, and there may be a reason that you want to do that. One of the things about XZ I do like is the, the settings for the for the, the the severity of the compression. Now BZ. Uh, or rather, yeah, BZIP2 has this as well, and it always makes me feel really sort of inordinately powerful, but uh, you can do a slower variant of your compression preset level, anywhere from dash 0 to dash 9, to hopefully get a little bit better compression ratio. Although, with bad luck, this can also make it worse. That's what it says in the man page. So decompressor memory usage is not affected, but compressor memory usage increases a little at preset, at preset levels dash 0 and dash 3. Since there are two presets with dictionary sizes of 4 megabytes and 8 megabytes, the presets dash 3e and dash 5e use slightly faster settings than 4e and 6e respectively. That this is not a concern for me personally. I have um, a pretty good amount of RAM in all of the machines that I use these days. I I would be shocked if any archive that I'm dealing with would give my system a run for its money. That said, I I know that there are there are other um, there there are other use cases out there. So certainly that could be a could be a thing. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's a little bit of a mess with the dash dash Lisma 1 and the dash dash Lisma 2. Add Lisma 1 or Lisma 2 filters to the filter chain. These filters can be used only as the last filter in the chain and so on. So th th this, you know, because XZ implements this Lisma thing, but then Lisma uh, got bumped up to Lisma 2 to account for some of the problems with Lisma, you could, in theory, have to deal with that 
and you probably don't want to. But I mean, if you haven't, if you don't have a bunch of legacy Lisma archives lying around, or or any reason to support legacy Lisma, rather, then this doesn't actually matter. And certainly, most of this is just kind of magically taken care of for you by XZ under under sort of like normal everyday usage. But I can see how how there could be concerns for longevity under under these circumstances. There, there, there does seem to be a lot going on here. But as a command, XZ is really, really well designed. I'm a big fan of it. And certainly on an everyday basis for, for compressing little things and sending them between computers or, or compressing something for uh, when I'm building a package, a Slackware package, zipping it up with an XZ or, or archiving it with XZ, it's great. It works fine. It works perfectly. Um, and and I have no no regrets using it at all. It, it 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 is treating me quite nicely. I have no complaints about it so far. So that is the XZ tool. That's probably a lot more dramatic than you anticipated. I mean, it's the end of the year. Things are supposed to be winding down. This is the last episode, though. I wanted to make it exciting. There you go. XZ. Lots of drama. Lots of excitement. Is it safe? Should you be using it? You'll never know. You know what? Go grab a cup of coffee. Think it over. Think about it. Talk talk it over with your spouse, with your children. Come to a decision. Are you going to be an XZ family or not? Make a New Year's resolution. Either use it or lose it. But don't lose that coffee. Go get that cup. I'll be right back. Are you ready for Zoo? Zoo is a, a little bit of a unique one. This is this is going to feel different. I know that it feels like we've just done XZ, now we're doing Zoo, two compression things in one episode. This is a really unique one, Zoo is. And the Zoo package actually includes two commands. It includes Zoo and it includes Fizz, F-I-Z. And the reason for that will become clear once I read this little introductory remark in the man page. It says, Zoo is used to create and maintain collections of files in compressed form. It uses a limple ziv compression algorithm, we've heard that name before, that gives space savings in the range of 20% to 80% depending on the type of file data. Zoo can store and selectively extract multiple generations of the same file. That's kind of interesting. It also says data can be recovered from damaged archives by skipping the damaged portion and locating undamaged data with the help of fizz. Okay, so let's duck out here and look at fizz real quick. So fizz analyzes damaged zoo archives for data recovery. It says fizz is used to analyze damaged zoo archives and locate directory entries and file data in them. The current version of fizz is 2.0, don't care, don't care. And it says fizz makes no assumptions about archive structure. Instead, it simply searches the entire subject archive for tag values that mark the locations of directory entries and file data. In a zoo archive, a directory entry contains information about a stored file, such as its name, whether compressed or not, and its timestamp. The file data are the actual data 
for the archived file and maybe either the original data or the result of compressing the file. I mean, I don't know that we'll be able to replicate the function of fizz because I, I don't know of a reasonable way to corrupt a zoo archive. So we'll really just kind of concentrate on zoo. Zoo has, it, it expects the .zoo extension unless you give it a different extension explicitly. And it has two different kinds of commands. There's the expert commands, which are just the single letter command or modify options. And then there's the novice, which consists of a hyphen followed by some command word that may be abbreviated. So that's kind of an interesting take on things. And and we may as well just we, we may as well start out by trying to, to create one of these things. So I'm gonna duck out to my file system here. I'm gonna untar this file from earlier Durtar. Oh, actually, I don't even need that. I'm going to trash Durtar. And then I'm going to, I think I'm going to create a file specifically for this demonstration. Okay, so I'm going to make a, I've made a directory called Dur, actually. And then I'm going to just copy uh, some stuff into the directory. And I'm going to copy a collection of screenshots, as well as a couple of text files because it's always good to have some text files in a compression thing, just to just to mix things up. I've got a list of... Oh, I know what this is a list of. It's a list of my Slack builds that I'm supposed to be updating. Um, I'll get back to that right after this episode. So if I do, according to Zoo, to create, or rather add, files to a an archive, the s syntax is zoo, and then some uh, command, I think is what it calls it, followed by an option, and then the archive name, and then the file that you want to add to the archive. So if I understand this correctly, I'll do man zoo just to reinforce what I think I, I know, and that is that I pass dash add, or just a for short, for the add command, and then it looks like I need to tell it an archive name and then the file. So um, here's my directory. I've called it dir, D-I-R, and I'll do a zoo space dash add, and that is just one dash, and then uh, the archive name, so we'll just call it dir.zoo, and then the file that we want to create is dir. Oh, okay. Uh, it says fatal, archive header failed consistency check. So did that create the thing? I don't think it did. Back to the man page, looking through it, looking for something about recursion, because I'm assuming nothing about recursion. How about directory? There are a lot of mentions of extracting the files and whether or not to create a directory upon extraction, uh, but it doesn't seem to mention what happens if you want to zip up a directory. So maybe this is sort of like gzip, where we need to tar something first. So I'm going to do a tar dash dash create dash dash verbose dash dash file, and then we'll just give it dir. Oh, okay, there we go. Now we've got this fairly large uh, tar file. It's about 14 megabytes, and that's that's what the uh, that's what the dir folder is after after I put everything into it. And then we'll do a zoo-add-dir.zoo and then dir.tar, yeah? 
and it looks like it says 0% has been added to the directory. Uh, but that's weird because, oh, okay, so 0% compression has been added. Okay, well, that's not optimal for these purposes. So I'm going to get rid of the dir.zoo that did get created. I'm going to get rid of the dir.tar. And I'm going to do zoo-add again, dir.zoo. And then I'm just going to do dir slash asterisk. And that seemed to have added some things. It looks like there's an old license file in here that's 53% compressed. A readme that was 24% compressed. Uh, another text file, 38%. Some JPEGs that were not compressed at all. And strangely, some .py files, some Python files that have not been compressed. I don't see any good reason for that whatsoever because those are just... These aren't compiled Python files. These are just .py text files. I'll, do, I'll double check that. File dir slash test.py. It's a Python script, UTF-8 Unicode text executable. Uh, and for whatever reason, Zoo did not compress it at all. That That is a little bit odd. So let's look at the size of the dir.zoo. Just for kicks, it looks like it compressed that down to 206 kilobytes from Four, I'm going to do a du-h on dir from 14 megabytes. And I think I see what's going on here. So what happened was that zoo has not recursed into the directories. So it took all of the files from, from dir and put it into a directory called dir.zoo. But it didn't go into any of the directories. So directories are like hard stops for zoo. I gotta admit, I'm not understanding the methodology that it wants me to 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 take here, because it it seems like the .tar file that I fed it it, it didn't comp it couldn't compress, and it seems like the stuff you know when I do give it something it compresses it, but it doesn't take it doesn't take everything that I feed it. So I mean, honestly, dir.zoo, I'm removing that. So honestly, the only way I can think to do this from what I can tell of the man page, unless I'm missing something, maybe there's some keyword that I'm not thinking. I've, in Unix, recursion is usually the, the correct keyword to look for. I, I can't think of, I guess I could do a man dir, no, man zoo, and then do a search for a descend, maybe? Maybe a descent, nope. Follow? No, followed by. Yeah, I don't know what it's, um, how you do a directory. It's very, very odd. But it, it almost looks like it almost looks like uh, like it wants me to just do a find. In fact, there is the one complete, more or less complete example command it provides is a find command. So it'd be like find uh, in dir type files, I guess, and then uh, exec zoo. Or actually, we can even just pipe it. We can just uh, pipe zoo add. No, better um, better not do that. That's going to have to be in xargs. I guess I could do that. Let's just do it with xargs. xargs zoo-add dir.zoo, but I need to rem remember to get rid of the old dir.zoo. Oh, I did. Adding everything that's passed to xargs. That scrolled a lot on my screen, so let's do an ls-actually, I think I have just lh on a everything.zoo, and it looks like zoo the zoo archive is 13 megabytes. I think I'm not super excited about Zoo, honestly. The compression savings are not 
really exciting me. The, uh, the command syntax is confusing, and there doesn't appear to be any recursion. What it does have is the ability to add files to an archive, which we've established. We uh, can also update an archive, so it adds a specified file to an archive if an older file by the same name already exists, or if a file by the same name does not already exist. So it's a little bit like a, I guess almost like an rsync really, but you're doing it into a zoo archive. There's the da dash extract, which specifies a specific, you specify a file from the archive and then it extracts that file for you. And it, j just that one. Uh, if you don't do that, if you don't, if, if you don't specify a file after extract, it does all files. Dash move is like dash add, except that the source file is deleted after adding it to the archive. There's a dash print, which is equivalent to the extract command, except that it extracts, or rather that extracted data are sent to standard output. That's kind of interesting. And then there's also a dash delete. So in other words, it, it has a pretty rich command set in, in the sense that you can really manage that archive. Um, and that, that's nice. That's a good thing. And then those are called the novice commands. And then after those, it provides expert commands, which are which are shortened versions of those, which frankly, I admire a lot because I, I think that a lot of these commands have the reputation of being difficult because the you know the the experts relay them with short options tar xc xvf no one can remember that no one knows what xvf means it's just cryptic so to separate out sort of the long options which which this person's calling a novice option versus the short options is kind of nice um i will say though that the the syntax is pretty rigid it, it's it is nice that he sort of separates novice from expert interfaces but but it is pretty rigid as a as maybe as a result i don't know well no it'd be as a result of how it was how it's parsing these options i guess so um yeah it's kind of interesting and it looks like from just kind of looking at the the documentation what, what documentation there is is th this this zoo command is is actually quite old um the copyright says that it is in the public domain, and it is uh, it, it was the the license. This copyright was dated 1991, so it's a pretty pretty early little. I mean, not as early as you know said or, or or C, but I mean it's it is an old application. I don't know how well maintained it is. I don't know if it's still an active project. I I haven't really looked into it, but it it feels. Yeah, like a little bit almost well certainly removed from what from what I would I would expect on a typical Unix. Uh because you don't expect it on a typical Unix. It, it's not it, it wasn't on a typical Unix. Um and it's probably here in Slackware because uh Pat wants to make sure that if you have an archive from an older system you can open it. Which I really, really appreciate. So um I don't anticipate using Zoo in real life, certainly, I, I don't, I don't see the, the the savings in in compression, and, and I, I don't 
I, I definitely don't love the interface of it. So I would I would I really have to get I, I would have to go through a lot of repetition to fall in love with that interface. And um, I feel like I have lots of other archive programs that I can use to do that. So that's an, an, a non-spectacular ending to the A package set, but that is indeed the end of the A package set. But wait, there's more. How can there be more? The A package set is um, is over. I just said that. Well, it turns out that Alexi... No, Andre... Andre... Um, oh, I don't say last names on this show. Andre from... Um, I don't know where he's from. I thought I had a story of where he was from but i think i was just sort of making up the story from his from his name so anyway andre um emailed me and says that he wants to tell me that in 1328 uh, i mentioned that i have no floppy drive reasonable it's very old i use usb floppy drive from uh, I, I use a usb floppy drive from china and some 1.44 inch discs as a retro process to store my manual code. USB floppy drives work on, under the SCSI Linux kernel subsystem, so that would be slash dev slash sdb slash dev slash sdc and etc. So pretty much just what we would normally expect. And then FD format from util Linux um, cannot work on that device. So I skipped over FD format, if you'll remember, from Util Linux, because, as Andre points out, I said I don't have a floppy drive. Um, and it is interesting to hear that FD format from Util Linux doesn't work on slash dev slash SD whatever. And so if you're if you have a I guess a modern floppy drive, then FD format may actually not not work for you. Uh, specifically, FD format wants to look at slash dev slash FD and then some number. So what Andre um, recommends is something called UFI format, which um, is from a, a package on Debian. After inserting the floppy disk on a connected USB floppy drive, use the command UFI format space dash I space dash or er, slash dev slash SD x you know wherever wherever the the drive is located sdc sdd sde whatever to see what uh, drive is inserted to format the diskette i use ufi format space dash v for verbose slash dev slash sdx or wherever the thing is located at then i as usual create a file system for instance makefs.ext2 dash capital l my code slash dev slash sdx. So UFI format sounds like it's probably a an application that you would want to use if you had a modern day floppy drive. There you go. That's great information, and it it makes it feel like the A package set is now truly complete. Why? Because we had to skip FD format. It was a travesty, but I didn't have the the stuff that I needed to be able to test the command with. So it's great. It's great that Andre let me know about sort of FD format's limitations and what to use instead of, of FD format. Thank you very much for letting me know and completing the A package set in a satisfactory 
and fulfilling way. That's it, everybody. That is the A package set, and it's 2019, all wrapped up. Now, of course, technically it's not 20, the end of 2019 right now. The end of 2019 happened... like the, So the next episode you hear will actually occur in 2019 for you. It is three, uh, day 363 of 2019, but that week is the start of 2020. So that, from from a week count perspective, that will be episode 01 of 2020. Which brings up something that I should probably warn you about. Uh, in 2020, the... The, the numbering system of GNU World Order will change. I've gotten really tired of doing the season number X uh, episode number. It was something that I started way, way back when, and I just thought it made sense because there was this concept of the season, and then there would be a delimiting character that was friendly for file names. For, for file names, you know, it wasn't any kind of special character. It was just the letter X. So I, I figured it was it was kind of it, it kind of made sense to me. Now I, I I feel like it it still makes sense and it's still a fine you know it, it wasn't a slash it wasn't a well it could have been a dash I guess but I mean I'm fine with it in in theory but I've I've heard from people that it's not maybe the best for them. So what I'm going to do instead is number the episodes by more or less literal episode number continually from from the very first episode at least for all of the episodes that i can account for so the number might actually be a little bit off i I think i've probably lost a couple of episodes here and there as i've transitioned from one server to another or just through carelessness i'm gonna look at all the files that exist i'm going to count them up and we're going to start with whatever number that is in 2020 and i think that's everything i've got for this episode and as i've said for this year so thanks for listening talk to you next time Listening to the GNU World Order Og Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Free Node network usually in channels such as Ogcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
is right, we will emerge.